what you've challenged me with is to just kind of let go of the map uh, or let go of the attachment to it as final. There's an inclination in the mind to want to let that then materialize on the land just as you drew it, right? So drawing right. is one, t it's a technique. Exactly. It's going to have, it, it's going to have its place and it, but it's not just drawing or not drawing. It's, it's how, how is the drawing feeding into? How is the drawing adding value to the process? as opposed to, you know, taking value away from it. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is Dan Palmer coming at you with episode 29. Now, it's interesting times for Making Permaculture Stronger. Last episode 28 in the accompanying post was the formal declaration that phase two of Making Permaculture Stronger is open, which is all about moving away from a problem-solving approach framework perspective on permaculture to getting into the, the framing of asking questions around permaculture's a poten a potential and realizing that creating something beautiful or adding to something that's beautiful as opposed to um, picking away at bits that aren't so good, so to speak. I mean, if you've been following this, that does involve a little pruning, or in my case, I got quite carried away and coppiced the whole permaculture tree to clear some space for my own imminent efforts. Anyway, uh, one thing that happened yesterday is, uh, well, first of all, I should say I'm pretty excited about where we're heading here. I, I feel a degree of clarity about the overall parameters of where I'm heading, where the project's heading, but... The details are totally, I'm in the dark about those and I'm excited to discover them, uh, to figure out what the path is in the process of walking on it. I've got some questions I'm looking forward to, um, what I think are deep and um, dangerous and beautiful questions that I want to put out there and have others co-reflect on. I had an amazing conversation with Ben Haggard, who's part of the Regenesis um, group and Living Systems Thinking Regenerative um, Development Design Practitioner. And that was a pretty perfect timing, as you'll see. That'll, I guess, that'll be episode thirty. And um, he he really helps sharpen up the framing of, of where we'll be heading from here. What I'm going to do today, however, is share the continuation of my last chat with Jason Gerhardt, where we where I, um, we explored the developmental pathway of permaculture designers, uh, how how you where you go, or how what are, what are the kind of phases or options in terms of developing as a permaculture designer and um, there was a good episode in that uh, must have been episode 25 yeah and I cut it off but we did keep going and what I'm going to share today is the excellent continuation of the co um, conversation where we explored mostly this idea of mapping and drawing and how does that relate to permaculture design in light of some of the uh, inquiries and uh, conversations I've been having and exploring. We also get, we come back to the topic of developing you know, educational pathways for permaculturists, as well as we, we have a conversation around um, permission and authority and stuff like that. I'm sure you'll agree it was a, a fantastic continuation. Thanks so much to Jason for being in the mix. I always get a lot out of our conversations. And I look forward to sharing um, the chat with Ben, I guess, a week from now. And then very much look forward to launching into phase two wholesale after that. All right, let's jump in to the continuation of the conversation with Jason. And I won't check in with you at the end. I'll just wrap it up. So enjoy and catch you soon. To your point about not making maps, I still make maps. I mean, that's almost a whole another conversation we could have. 
around how to view that. But ultimately what, what I've been thinking about, and you, you've been challenging me actually, you know, with not making maps. I'm like, well, what would it look like for me to not make maps? Because to be honest, a lot of my work has been, uh, I've taken pride in, in the physical designs that we've made. Um, I think they look really good. I think they're professional. I've worked, you know, worked with architects and the professional design industry finds that they're great. Um, and that's a pride point for me for better or worse. And ultimately what you've challenged me with is to just kind of let go of the map uh, or let go of the attachment to it as final. Because there is a, the more you put pen to a paper and like the last strokes of color or whatever you put on at the end, those are those capping pieces and it just feels so complete. It feels so finished, right? And it feels final and you want to just, you, there's an inclination in the mind to want to let that then materialize on the land, just as it is on the paper, just as you drew it, right? And so you have to let go of that attachment. And it's not to say that making the map doing the physical design wasn't important. It was, in, it could be incredibly important, even providing it to a client. You know, I want to be able to, and what I've started doing is actually providing designs to clients and coaching them through. Now don't get attached to this, right? It's not going to look exactly like this. We went through this exercise because it's just one layer to go through to tease out any mistakes that we may be having in our thinking, right? And so, and sometimes you need a design, obviously, because you, you have to get approval, you know, by a governmental agency or whatever the case may be for your context. In a lot of cases, you need a drawing. And so how do you do the drawing and just not be attached to it? And there's something beautiful in that too is, Actually, I have a friend who he teaches PDCs and gives out certificates, and now he's and then he says, "Now go compost this thing, <laughs> sheet mulch your certificate. You know, take your design work and sheet mulch it before you finish implementing the design, so you're not so bound to that thing." I think that could be a valuable exercise. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah, it's lovely to hear reflections on this. I, re I realize as as I'm hearing you speaking, I just drafted a post that will have come out by now it's around the, the 10th and hopefully the final installment in that series on the chart and the generative transformation stuff and I had you in mind as I wrote a section there um, and it's kind of a I think it's going to be a tricky point to get across and I, I give some examples there of maps that I've done and I, that I've chosen to do and this the, yeah, this idea that it's not the map is like the thing it's, it's not about whether you do or don't do a swale it's not about whether you do or don't do a map and of course there's there's a place for drawing you know to someone who's fully attached to maps and can't and, and just does maps and imposes them i'm no better than that if i don't never do a map and religiously insist on not doing maps you know because of course <laughs> drawing has a place it's really it's really useful it, it, you can pick up things you earlier and and just see connections and all that kind of stuff and so i'm, I'm trying to get across this idea that it's it's more of an attitude. So this idea of, because I have the distinction mm -hmm. between fabricating, which is a detailed master plan, hybrid, which is a concept plan before you start implementing, and generative, where you get clear on the project intention and the, in a sense, the DNA, the purpose, very clear. So there's a lot of work still, but then you, then you let the actual concept and detailed aspects of the design unfold or reveal themselves. So there's no 
potential for contamination by having forced ideas prematurely. But the thing is that I know that someone could not use a map at all and actually be doing something more akin to fabricating, even though they're not drawing it up. They're still they're, they're seizing on ideas, holding them in their mind, and then imposing those. And then there's someone someone could could do a very detailed plan, but the project itself could all could at the same time be more authentically generative. And it's a yeah. bit of a it's a bit of a um, it messes with your mind a bit because like, hang on, haven't you just reversed the whole? But that's just how it is. So it's more about the the generative piece, fabricating that continuum from, from fabricating or master planning to, to generative where all the details emerge, come out of the wash. It's more of an attitudinal thing. And I'll give one example there where I chose to take on a project that required a master plan, a detailed plan, mm-hmm. because it was for, you know, that, yeah, architects need to sign off, engineers need to sign off, the council need to sign off. And that was part of the deal. And, and I, I consciously made it as generative as I possibly could within those constraints. And it, it was a great experience. And and, one, yeah. and 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 it's that piece you said too. It's like often, yeah, you're going to have a plan, but what happens when implementation starts? You know, how's that construed? Is the plan the master and and reality and implementation mm-hmm. slave, or is the plan a guide, an educated guess? And, and and a lot a lot of times, clients or certain stakeholders need to see something. They're just too scared to, to and often rightfully so. To so what, they, what? We can't start. We can't bloody start grading the bloody drive. What are you talking about? Where's the mm-hmm. where, where's the plan? What? How's you know? So it's like yeah. Sometimes it's just about pacifying that requirement. Sometimes it's a legal requirement. And the point is, is you know, it's not about making a decision of to draw or not to draw, right? That's it's, right. It's not to put a box around generative transformation and say, okay, this is the process for this, and this is how you do it, yeah. as opposed to something else. Yeah, it's that same distinction, isn't it, between uh, principles and techniques or strategies? So right. drawing is one. T- it's a technique. Exactly. It's going to have a, it's going to have its place, and it, but it's not just drawing or not drawing. It's it's how how is the drawing feeding into? How is the drawing adding value to the process as opposed to you know taking value away from it? How how is the drawing supporting the best possible outcome for the situation? And I find that I mentally labor over my drawings. You know, I, I really have to. I take a lot of time to do it. First of all, I don't churn out detailed design work quickly at all. I think about it all the time. And so it's constantly something that I have on the table and I'm looking at and I revisit day after day after day. And it's really just a great thinking exercise to have because I'm not going to be on the site of my clients day after day. So at least I have an image of it on, on a table that I can interact with and think about. How is this irrigation system going to work, right? Or how are we going to get water to this corner of these fields? And even if you have an idea, like sit with it, think about it. Don't just, oh, I've got an idea. Boom. Okay, there. That would work. Do it. But you can draw that out on tracing paper, but then think about it, you know, come up with two other options of how you could get water to that corner. Yeah, I, I remember in our last chat, I said I'd, I'd probably do a post on a, way of, a different way of working with drawings that I've been loving, which is that we, we draw on site like in three dimensions with hay bales or tape or whatever, you know, bricks on the ground. Mm. So we treat the, the site itself as the piece of paper and we, we draw with physical objects. And then we have a drone now. We own half of a drone. Um, I mean, it's, it's a whole drone. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, we, so we, we draw on the ground and then we put this thing up in the air, take a photo from above, and then we can print that out. And we've, we've got it, we, you know, we've got a plan. We've got a drawing. 
And, and, and if we want to, we can then trace over the hay bales or whatever we use to market the new driveway. And, and I'd want to share that because that's been a real breakthrough. It's quite amazing. And there's so many times where if we had, if we, like in this particular example, where there's been zero upfront drawing at, at all, which is, it's been kind of thrilling for me, one of the most fun projects I've been part of. If we had to draw this new driveway, 100% we would have put at least a subtle curve in it. Because it was just like, yeah. you know, a, a subtly curving driveways, how can it be? And, it, and then when we marked out with hay bales, we really didn't know exactly how it was going to look from above or in a drawing. And, and when we took the drone photo and looked at it, it was surprisingly straight for the section, even though it kind of feels curved or something, you know, it, it actually works best. It was the best solution, definitely. Like, there's no question about it. And so our minds would have made some decisions and forced some stuff that we would have stuck to. Um, as opposed to reversing the whole process. So in that case, it's like you, you're still using drawings, but in a very, very different um, a different sense. Be, I mean, it's a shame you're so far. It would be, be so much fun to take you to a project like that. I took Joel to that project. Uh-huh. It, it almost feels a bit, I feel a bit reckless, a bit naughty, you know. It's like <laughs> no, no plan, no drawing. We're just going to mark stuff out. And we're putting in you know, massive, like a two or three million litre dams gone in and like half a kilometre of diversion drains and, you know, and fruit trees and swell all the stuff's going in none of them been drawn and it's and it's mm-hmm. and i and i'm fully relaxed and fully confident that it's you know it's 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 beautiful it's and, and that we're finding one of the optimal pathways through the decision making process for what what best suits this place and mm-hmm. in this case the the clients are, are performance artists and so they're picking up on the affinities between this way of working and what they do and, and love the, the creativity. Yeah, yeah they're not they're creators, so they, they get yeah. it. They're not they're not freaking out because there's no plan. It's an it's important conversation. I mean, one one thing I'm conscious of, I I don't want it to sound like it to become an excuse or a cop out for people when I say, look, drawings are you know sometimes you need because because a lot of people I know they feel a bit ruffled when I talk about this and they and they you know they're like, well, right now I sell plans and it works and I you know I love them and it, it's a model that customers want and and it, and it works. And I do, I do want to keep encouraging the conversation around evolving the way we use our, our drawings. And I don't want people to hear this and think, oh, well, great. What he's saying is actually I just keep doing master plans for the rest of my life. Or not learn how to draw, right? That's the other side of the equation is a lot of people may not have that natural inclination. And they feel like, oh, well, Dan's saying I can just abandon drawing. Not that totally. that's what you're saying. That's right, yeah. Right? So it's not about... It could be used. To, I could see some folks choosing to use that as a, you know, as a crutch, basically. It's so tricky, isn't it? So, yeah, you could use what I'm saying to go either way. Either to say, oh, actually, no, he's saying master plans are okay. I'll just stick with them. Or he's saying master plans are no good, so I, I'm not even going to learn how to draw. I'm just going to basically wing it and do random stuff. And either way, you're not unfolding or revealing the best possible solutions for these people in this place. And, you, and in doing so, you're not really contributing what you could be to permaculture's evolution. And that's the practice piece, right? That's the practice piece. Yeah, you got to go through all those steps. And there's then, and it's there's no ceiling. Like there's no right. limit. You're never going to arrive at you know I'm I'm there. It's a spiral staircase that goes up and down and in between and yeah, doubles back on itself. And <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm thinking about also with this idea of drawing on site as you're doing with objects basically right Mm -hmm. one i can't wait to see what that image looks like i think you should you know do it up with the drone video from above and cite it on a on a page and have a title and do the whole thing make it look like an official drawing it'll look like the most rudimentary best design ever (laughs) 
but what I was thinking about also is that the designs, drawings help people envision the site that can't go to the site, right? So this project that I'm a part of, this big farm project has a lot of different partner organizations. And if I have to go to Kansas City, for example, across the state and meet at their office and show them what we're up to, to you know, basically ensure that we're gonna continue to get funding and that they're gonna keep supporting us and supporting us and believing in us, then I need something to show them, right? And, and obviously sometimes they can come to the site, but other times they can't. And if I have to go to them and say, look, we need $50,000 to put in X, Y, and Z, and here's what it will look like, here's where we're doing it, or even more to the point of this project I'm on right now is I do a lot of drawings that, are, that aren't designed at all. They're actually just assessment. They're ecological interpretation drawings. And so, you know, sector analysis and zone analysis, those are very fine and good, great tools. I've modified those tools to make them fit a more professional context and to make them more realistic, actually, to, to sites. So I do what I call site analysis mapping, which is sector mapping in a way, but it's really just an ecological interpretation to help people understand the land and capability and, and harms and risks and you know, dangers of certain things. Uh, and that's, very, that's been very helpful, I can say, to people to show the site that even if I was on site, I wouldn't be able to show them everything at once. Like this property is 240 acres and surrounded by a bunch of other land too that impacts this land. There's no, it would take all day for me to show them all the things I saw and within two hours they'd be, you know, blanking out. They'd just be toast. So the map is a condensed form to actually present to somebody what's happening on the site and it helps people understand their site. So I think making different kinds of maps, maybe even challenging oneself to not make design maps, but to make site assessment maps could be a really interesting exercise as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, I mean, that is a case where drawing is and maps. It's so appropriate to build up those layers, you know, like the way I think of it is in that case, you're using things like pencils and pens or screens um, to externalize and increase the capacity of our minds to, you right. know, to, to hold whole to hold all this information yeah and at that stage to say oh well you know dan said something about not using maps so i'm just gonna you know it's a recipe for disaster well and we did one of these in in february too um yeah we did the site analysis mapping in february of this year and now that i'm on the project more full time i see all kinds of errors that we made in that right so it's still having that, I think there's something really core to not getting attached to the result, not thinking that that's final, that there is never a final, right? The site's always changing. Any rainstorm could reduce finality to nothing, right? Totally, so, yeah, yeah the, I mean, the map is not the territory. And I, right. I come back to the idea, can't remember her name, but some author, this idea of re, arguing with reality is, is a futile endeavor. You, you can never win an argument with reality. and uh, a map is a is a simplification of reality, and it, it's a distortion. Like we, you know, we can't do no map can do reality justice. So, and, and and then when the tensions and the arguments do arise, because they always do, to say well, you know, well the map is 
the map's going to win the argument. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Nature bats last. Right, exactly. <laughs> so the ter- the territory is the is the um, is leading the way, and the map is a is a limited tool to to help us better understand and and engage with the territory where that's which is reality, which is that that's what we're in service of. And maps mean different things to different people too. I think is another important point, right? For me, it's a process that I go through to help tease out what's appropriate on site for my client. Maybe more typically it's what they think their site is going to look like, but I very consciously tell them this is not about what your site is going to look like, right? This is about patterns. Really. It's about an organizational pattern for your property. So for me, if I'm building the design or if I'm managing the, the build out of the project, then I'm very cognizant that I can't be attached to what that map looks like. I basically, I don't throw it away. I use it as a guide. And then I adjust as and adapt as circumstances on the ground change. For a funder, they don't, they don't care that I didn't get the site analysis 100% correct. How was I going to get the site analysis correct in three days on site, right? There's just no way. But they wanted to see that some real deep thought was going into this project and it justified their funding, right? So it's all mindset, right? It's just mind is everything. It yeah. really is. Attitudinal piece. How, how are you engaging this, this or that technical right. strategy? I was just thinking one, one invitation or possibility, uh, you know, so I was, I was thinking, well, let's say that someone's used to spending, I don't know, you know, a day or two days or whatever it is, mapping the site. I just a little side pieces. Um, I've I've moved away from site analysis because analysis is break apart to to immersion, mm-hmm. where, where mm-hmm. which includes analysis and synthesis and just and just scanning and all the rest. But if 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 you spent let's say you spend two days on mapping the site and two days on um, creating the design, what if you were to spend four days or three and a half days on mapping the site and 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 also in a sense, mapping the people are immersing in the people mm-hmm. stakeholders and then um, spend a lot less time drawing when you come to what's going to happen here and just focus on drawing the next thing and then do that, you know, just as, a, as an experiment or, or just draw half of what you used to, used to draw. What, one other piece that I, that I enjoy is, is often um, when that question comes up from clients, you know, so could you draw us a design? I say, well, yeah, what, I can totally draw your design. This is how it's going to work. We're going to, we map the place, tune into it, figure out who, what you're about, what the place is about, f- some steps forward. We'll take the steps, we'll do the work, so we'll transform your landscape. And then when we're done, I'll put the drone up and I'll, and I'll, and I'll draw you a nice picture of what we've done and you, you'll have your design. <laughs> <laughs> as, as an after-the-fact snapshot of what actually right. happened. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'll, well, I'll I think... get some examples of that out there just, just, just to, you know. Provoke. The other aspect, uh, another aspect, yet another aspect. Um, yeah, another yeah. So many damn aspects. <laughs> Reality, you know, it just doesn't stop. Angles. Yeah. Man, it's, <laughs> there are so many sides to everything. Yeah. Um, but another aspect is that it's a material thing, right? The design, the drawing is a material thing. Or the drawings are a material thing. And it's very easy to start to use that to inform your process, right? Say, okay, I've got a package now and I can say, 
any property that's 25 to 50 acres, I know it takes me three days for site analysis on site, two days to make the map, um, three days on site playing around with design concepts, five days to make the drawing, right? And then you can, you, you, you tailor your process almost economic out of like economic necessity, uh, which, which is another thing that has to be, that the attachment to has to be let go of. You have to be able to let go of being able to exactly predict how much a project is going to cost, how much time it's going to take. Uh, if you're truly, you know, generating things in the moment. Mm, for sure. So I think it's, because it's material, that's sort of where we go astray is we, we use that to inform our process, which is not quite as material, right? So it's, it's sort of blurring the lines between those two things and it gets confused along the way. Yeah, for sure. Oh, great to explore this stuff. Um, yeah, my sense is that hopefully there's some useful nuggets amongst it all. And to, oh, by the way, to me too, this is, as far as I can tell, this is the embodied reality of what um, community of practice feels like. You know, here we are, we're, we're, I mean, we haven't been fishing together as yet, um, but we've, you know, we're, we're sharing anecdotes about our respective fishing excursions. Right. And yeah, and, and, and learning and growing together. And I'm, I sense a calling in this, like I, like I, I realized no one else needs to give me permission, but I, I deem myself eligible to hold space for conversations around, you know, communities of people collaboratively co-evolving design process, literacy and capacity. You know, that reminds me of when I first called Joel, um, this, this time that we talked, I said, I said, Joel, unless you have any updates, I'm just going to go right in. He was like, let's do it. And so I said, am I crazy for wanting to change the format and structure and curriculum of the PDC? That was sort of our guiding question throughout the whole thing. And in the end, we, I ended up saying, you know, Joel, all this has really just been confirmation bias because he's greatly informed me along the way. Right. And so I'm going back to the person who's informed a lot of my process and saying, Hey, is this right? Or is this, is this cool? Should, am I crazy? And of course he says, no, 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 you're not crazy. But it's that permission piece is I almost wanted permission from, from Joel, you know, to, to do that. And, and I just realized that I was kind of having a conversation with myself, at least ideologically. And <laughs> Nobody can give us permission. You just got to go for it. Yeah, and that's I mean, the whole part of licensure and, and credentialing and you know this certifying idea is people want permission to go and do something. It's mm -hmm. like, when am I ready to teach? I don't know when you're ready to teach. Only you know when you're ready to teach. I'm happy to like continue to have conversations with you and help you figure out when you're ready to teach, right? But I'm not certainly going to say take a two-week two PDC and go and teach one. You know, mm -hmm. that's, I remember no blanket rule. Yeah, for sure. I, that, that was a quote of Bill Mollison's. That, that, it, it, it actually, that just reading that was almost like it made a nodal intervention on me and really shifted my thinking. And in fact, it, it partially, it was one of the things that catalyzed and inspired me to get together with a bunch of friends and start what is now the Global Permablitz movement. And the quote was around, um, don't wait for instructions, you know, 
Like mm. there's no, don't wait for a leader to come along and tell you what to do. Don't wait for instructions, get together with two or three like-minded friends and just start doing shit, you know, just get out there and start doing stuff and learning. And yep. you don't need permission. You, you don't need to ask whether you're allowed when you're, you know, if you want to do it, just start doing stuff, figure it out. There's a, there's a great line actually in Ben Folk's book too, which is it's like his number one piece of advice is try stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing in our culture. Like I said, we have these people that have spent countless hours watching YouTube's reading books about permaculture. And then and sometimes people are in a position too where they like, Dan, look, you know, we've got this much money and we're just, we're try, we want to do the permaculture thing on some land. Where are we going to live? And, and they're trying to figure it out intellectually before they make a move. So just try stuff. Go and rent a place there. Go and spend the weekend there. You know, just start doing experiments and letting reality, let the territory tell you what the next step is. Don't try and master plan your life before you make a move because it, it's going to slip away from you. Even if you did have a master plan, a master plan is nothing but a complex educated guess and it's, it is going to be wrong. You know, it, yes. it, might, it might be right in terms of very general directions, but um, you're screwed. It'll be right on the pattern level, but it's not going to be right exactly. on the detail. Yeah, yeah. So if you follow, if you have, if you generate a master plan for your life and follow it, you're screwed. If you never make a move because you haven't finished it, you're screwed. And the permission thing is like, why the hell would you need permission to live your life? Yeah, why would you need permission to be alive in your life? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to listen to my. <laughs> feelings and passions and desires and do what brings me alive and what I love and what I sense and understand is the most valuable thing I could be doing with my precious life force to, right. to participate in life and support my ecologies, my bioregions, my communities. No, you don't need we, to. I can do it. Our, our minds have been so colonized.